0: Even church. If uh, you looked at your bulletin this morning, you'll notice that it says that Travis was going to be speaking tonight. Sorry. (laughs) I am no Travis, but I have more hair than he does. (coughs) (laughs) Philip of Macedonia approached Sparta. And he sent to them a message, one of my favorite quotes of ancient history. I believe it to be factual, may not be, may just be story. But it's one of my favorite quotes regardless. Philip said, if I invade Laconia, you will be destroyed, never to rise again. The Spartans' reply to the message was, if. Now, that just seems like a very insignificant and unimportant unimportant comment, doesn't it? If I invade, you're going to be destroyed. Well, if, yeah, it speaks volumes uh, in the face of that enemy. Great story that emphasizes the word if. I wonder, though, if we've ever noticed how the Bible stresses the word if and how many times you see it. Because it's there quite a bit. And the reason is because it's a very, very important word. For example, a covenant. A covenant is a contract between two or more people with equally binding obligations on both parties. And each covenant has if clauses in it. If party one does this, then party two is expected to do this. If party one doesn't do what he says he's going to do, then party two doesn't have to do what they are supposed to do. And vice versa. If party two doesn't do what they're supposed to do, then party one is no longer under obligation to keep their side of the contract. That's what a covenant is. We often ignore the if clauses in the Bible and in our relationship with God. But the Bible is full of them. And so I want to take one passage of Scripture tonight and show you the importance of the word if. If you turn your Bibles, if you have them with you, you can turn to uh, John chapter 8. And in John chapter 8, we're going to see this discussion that Jesus has with the Jews. No less than six times, Jesus uses the word if to try to get the Jews to understand what it means to follow him and the blessings he has for them who choose to do so. He uses that word over and over six times in this great chapter and passage of Scripture. And the first one is the if of discipleship. In John chapter 8, starting at verse 31, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? So there's the if clause, if you continue in my word. The if clause of discipleship. You want to be a, a disciple of Christ? You can be if you continue in his word. Now, what we often fail to do when we see if clauses in the scriptures is ask the opposite question. What if I don't? What if I don't continue in the words of God? I, what if I don't continue or abide in the doctrine of Christ? Well, the answer is obvious. Since Jesus made it plain in the first place. If we abide in his teachings, we are his disciples. If we don't, we're not. That's how important that if clause is. And so we'll see here then the, uh, the uh, if of discipleship. Now the Jews were very proud to be the descendants of Abraham. And they let Jesus know that on a number of occasions. We're in the seed of Abraham. And we've never been in bondage to any man. What do you mean you're going to set us free? Uh, They weren't quite telling the truth. (laughs) If you remember, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Syrians, and even as they spoke, the Romans all held Israel in bondage. They were in bondage at the very time they were saying, we've never been in bondage to anyone. And so Jesus lets them know, first of all, that he's not talking about political freedom. He's not talking about freedom from jail, but, of course, a spiritual bondage. That's the kind of freedom he offers us as his disciples. And so a disciple, then, by definition, is one who learns. That's the basic root meaning of the word. In order for any person to be a disciple of Christ, that person must continue and abide in the words of Christ. That's the only option. Learning is a wonderful and marvelous thing. I I enjoy learning. Uh, My problem is that I'm of the age that I tend to forget a lot of what I learn. Uh, Some of them are practical lessons that I forget. Uh, But I remembered if if you remember this morning, I talked about dunking, you know, because I'm so close to the rim that I think I could do it. But I remembered something I learned a long time ago, and that is, if my feet come off the ground, that's fine. It's the coming back down that hurts. And so I'm not going to do that. As bad as I want to dunk something up here, I'm going to avoid that uh, because I know the price I'll have to pay. Being a part of the family of God depends upon our learning and doing God's word. In Luke chapter 8, and verse 22, uh, 21, uh, Jesus said, and he answer, or the scripture says, and he said, answered and said unto them, my mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. So it's not just the hearing of the word of God. It's not just the learning of what the word of God says it is actually making practical application of living that word uh, as God would have us to live. Jesus placed a, a high blessing upon hearing and doing the word of God. In Luke chapter 11, verse 27, and it came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. But he said, yea, rather, blessed are they which hear the word of God and keep it. So on the one hand, his mother is being praised. But on the other hand, he turns it around and praises all of those who keep the word of God. Hear it and keep it. And So that's what it means. That's what's involved in being a disciple of Christ. Is accepting God's word, accepting the teachings of Christ, and then actually living what they say. Now, the second time he uses the word "if" uh, is in verse thirty-four and verse 30, uh, verse thirty-four through thirty-seven, and uh, it, this is going to be what we would refer to as um, the "if" of freedom. Now, again, the Jews had already said, we we are the offspring of Abraham. We've never been in bondage. And so now he's going to answer that. He says, uh, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is, is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. Now, in each of these ifs, pay close attention to the importance not only of the word if, but the role the word of God plays in it. It's not just the word if that we're looking at. We're looking at the fact that the word is intricately involved in all of these points discipleship following the word of Christ. Now freedom is based and found only in the word of Christ. If the son of God, therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. What if he doesn't? That's the other question. That's the opposite question. That's the, uh, what are we going to do if it doesn't work out? Well, if, if we're following the word of God, if we're abiding in the word of God, then freedom is ours because we're the disciples of Christ. But if we fail to do so, then we have a problem. Jesus is the only, only means by which anyone can gain freedom from the bondage of sin. And that's the bondage that he's trying to get the Jews to understand. They may forget all of that Babylonian and Persian and all that other Roman captivity and bondage that they were under but the one thing they needed never to forget is that they were in bondage to sin and that their relationship with Christ is their only way out their only way out and then notice the evidence that he gives to prove their bondage is the evidence he gives to prove that their bondage uh, is the fact that the word of God was not in them see Uh, if they had been the true children, I got a bug, (laughs) buzzing me. Um, If they were the true children of Abraham, they would have accepted Christ because Christ is an offspring of Abraham and the servant of the same God and same Lord. Now, there are two laws at odds with one another fighting for our souls. Uh, the law of sin and death and the law of freedom or life in Christ. Romans 8 verse 1 There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has made us free from the law of sin and death. Now notice the word if doesn't appear in this passage of scripture but it's really an if clause. There is no condemnation for them which are in Christ Jesus. Well, what if we're not in Christ Jesus? There's no condemnation for those who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. But what if we do? What if we do walk after the flesh? See, So it's still an if clause, even though the word's not there. But the point is that Jesus has provided us freedom from sin. And because of that, we can rejoice and glorify our God in all that we say and do. Notice again the important part that the Word of God plays in setting us free from the bondage of sin. This is Romans 6, starting at verse 16. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey. We've never been in bondage to anyone. Yes, you have. You've been serving sin. His servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were, were the servants of sin, but have obeyed. you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Doctrine is the word of God. It's the teachings of Christ. It's the teachings of the scriptures. And it had been delivered to them. And they accepted it and they believed it and they followed it and they lived it and they abided in it. And because of that, they were made free from sin. What if they hadn't? That's the other side of if. But then we have the if of service. This is John 8, verse 38. The if of service. I speak that which I have seen with my father. And you do that which ye have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God, this did not Abraham. Isn't it interesting that Jesus speaks of the actions of Abraham As though he was there when Abraham did what he was doing. How was he able to do that? He was there. (laughs) He was there. And when God said, Abraham, get up and go out of the land of the Ur of the Chaldees, Jesus was there. And when God said, Abraham, take your son Isaac and sacrifice him on the altar, Jesus was there. Jesus was there through the whole passing of time from the beginning. And so he could speak as one who was present because he was there. The action of the Jews was completely opposite to the action of Abraham. But if they had truly been Abraham's seed, spiritually speaking, not physically speaking, spiritually speaking, if they had been Abraham's seed, then they would have accepted Jesus and accepted his teaching and followed him and become his true disciples. Now, what did Abraham do? Well, very simply, he served God. When God called him out of the land of Ur of the Chaldees, he said, I'm yours. I'll go wherever you send me. When he said, sacrifice your son, what, what did Abraham do? I'm at your service, Lord. Here's my son. Every step of the way, with a few variations, <laughs> Abraham served the Lord. And the true disciple of Christ serves the Lord in the same way. In order for someone to be the child of Abraham, he must, there must be evidence shown that proves it. Jesus says, here that the evidence which proves a person to be a descendant of Abraham is doing the things that Abraham did. The evidence that proves we are the children of God is seen in the service which we render to our heavenly Father. John 12 and verse 26. If any man serve he, me, there's that if again. If any man serve me, what? Let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. And he gets another one right there in the same verse. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Well, what if I don't serve him? Well, that means I don't receive the honor of the father. That means I'm not following Christ. So the importance of if and and service. Jesus, of course, you know, said that I came not to be served, But to serve, not to be ministered unto, but to minister. If that's the whole purpose, he came and we are his disciples. That's supposed to be our whole purpose as well. A life of service. Again, notice the connection between the word of God and the freedom we have in Christ with the service we are to render to him. This is Galatians 5.13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. That's freedom. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. See, as the disciples of Christ, if we're going to be the disciples of Christ, if we're going to be brethren, if we're going to enjoy this freedom that God has provided for us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, then we have to give our lives in service to him. And so we must remember that that's part of the word of God, which causes us to become servants. Similar to discipleship, but a little bit different is the if of sonship. This is John 8, and verse 42. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, and neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. Again, notice the importance of the word of God. Why is it that you're struggling with this, Jews? Why is it that you can't understand my speech? Why is it that you cannot hear my words? Here's the answer. You're of your father, the devil. Now, that's not a compliment. Jesus is being quite stern, I guess, for lack of a better word, with the Jews. When he says, their father is not Abraham. Their father is not God. Their father is the evil one. And the lust of your fathers ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, 2 and 3. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. There's the word of God involved in it again. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. He's a murderer and a liar and the truth is not in him. And you're his children. Remember that old uh, saying about being a chip off the old block? He's saying you're just like your daddy. You're exactly like your father. You're no different from him. And shortly after this, they prove prove it to be true as they crucify the Son of God. They really were murderers because they refused to accept the word of God and his offer of sonship. Two things that we must constantly stress if we are to be the sons of God. They are love and the teachings of Jesus. There are qualifiers in our relationship with the Heavenly Father that cannot be discounted or ignored. If we are going to be the sons of God, then we must love one another, love our neighbors as ourselves, and make sure that we follow the teachings of Christ, the if of sonship. Galatians chapter three and verse 24. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under the schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We cannot become the sons of God without faith. And we cannot have faith Without the word of God. Romans ten seventeen still says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You can't separate the two, and you can't separate them from sonship. John 14, verse 15 If you love me, keep my commandments. Some translations even say, You will keep my commandments makes it kind of unavoidable doesn't it when he says it like that the way that we prove or confirm our love for jesus is by keeping the things that he taught the things that he's given us well what if we don't no obedience means no love which in turn means no sonship and then we have the if of responsibility In John chapter 8, verse 46, Which of you convicteth, convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? And Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father and you do dishonor me. A responsibility of being the son of God or a son of God or a child of God or a disciple of Christ is to honor Jesus. To believe him because he's speaking the truth, but then to honor him as he deserves to be honored. He is the son of God. We first have the responsibility of believing the Word. With that knowledge and understanding, it then becomes our responsibility to glorify God as we live out the instructions of His Word. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen and 20, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And so here's our responsibility to take the gospel to the lost and dying world around us. Someone met that responsibility in our lives. Somebody loved us enough to teach us the gospel of Christ. We in turn need to love someone enough to teach them the gospel of Christ. Go thou and do likewise. John 8:51. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, this is the if of eternal life. If a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. If no death. What if we don't keep him? What if we don't keep his word? What if we don't keep his saying? Death. Now obviously we're talking spiritual here. We're not talking about the physical death that a human body goes through. The only way we can make sure that we will never see death is to make sure that we are keeping the word of God. Keeping the word of God removes the anxiety that those who do not know Christ experience when facing death. Paul said in Philippians chapter one, verse twenty three, and following, For I am at a straight in a straight betwixt the two. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful of you. Sherry and I have a discussion about death every once in a while, and we always include our daughters in that discussion. I told her today the three biggest fears I have in life is for her passing, my daughter's passing, or my grandchildren passing. That's, the big, that's probably the only real fears that I have is losing one of them. What a glorious day I had today. I hope your day went at half as good as mine because if it did it may well have been the greatest day of your life. I got to spend Sunday morning with my children and my grandchildren. I got to eat lunch at Texas Roadhouse. That's a blessing all in of itself. Amen. <laughs> and here we are again tonight. And One of my daughters is here and my grandchildren are here. I don't see how life can get any better than that. Because I'm here with the people I love, not just my immediate family, but my church family. I'm getting to sing songs of praise to my Lord's name. I'm getting to rejoice. I'm getting to preach. I told the preacher, I said, don't take this wrong, but I'm really happy when you leave. Take another vacation. Go ahead. He looked at me kind of funny. I said, I get to preach. And he understood them. He said, I didn't, think it, I didn't want to put a burden on anybody. I said, brother, it's not a burden. It's a blessing. But the point is that we're trying to get to <coughs> is no matter how great this life is, Paul says, I want to be here with you. No matter how great this life is, it's better on the other side and we look forward to it with anticipation and with joy and with happiness and without fear or dread or distress as the world might do so 1 Corinthians 15:54 starting so when the this corruptible shall put on incorruptible, incorruption and this mortal shall have put away immortality then shall we be brought to, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We don't have to worry about what's going to happen to us. The truth of God's word has revealed it to us. And we will spend eternity with our Heavenly Father. Rejoicing evermore. All of these things can be summed up in one verse. Revelation 22, 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. That's pretty much everything I've said tonight. The Word of God is there. keeping the Word of God is there, and the blessings of eternal life is there as well. Now before I conclude this, I would like to go back to this very first uh, I think it's in here. I can't remember if I put it in here or not. Let me go back here real quick. Notice in John 8:31. Then said said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. Did you catch that? They believed on him. Now, a lot of people in the world would say, that's all you need. They believed on Jesus. You believe on Jesus, you're saved. But you notice that right after Jesus said, or the scripture talks about the Jews that believed on him, There's an if clause. There's an if clause. Salvation is a wonderful and blessed gift that the Lord has bestowed upon us. But never be tricked, never be fooled, never be deceived into thinking that you have absolutely nothing to do with it. Because you do. And just this passage alone proves it with the six ifs that we've talked about tonight. and So we'll go back down to where we ended just a few moments ago and ask these questions. Are you a disciple of Christ? Have you been set free from sin? Are you living a life of service? Are you a son of God? Are you fulfilling your responsibilities to the Lord? Do you have eternal life? If the answer to any one of those questions is no, we can fix that. All you need to do is respond to the invitation this evening, just like that young lady did this morning. What a glorious day it was to see that young lady baptized into Christ. Amen? It's a wonderful thing to see someone become a disciple of Christ. You can do that if you're not already following him. Believe that he is the Christ. That's a good start. That's the perfect start. That's the best start. But don't be satisfied with that step because it's not enough. Repent of your sins. Confess his name. Be buried with him in baptism for the remission of your sins. Oh, then you're on your way. You've met the if clauses. If you've done that and you allowed yourself to stray and go back into the world and have uh, the bondage of sin take you over again, you can be restored. Jesus promised that there's still hope for you. If you'll come to him, meet him on his terms. If you need to respond to the invitation tonight, we pray that you will, as we stand and sing to encourage you.